All right. Well, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. We're thrilled to welcome the multifaceted professional to Sweet Stories this week, Sarah Altman. Sarah is a seasoned professional with a unique and diverse background that spans across retail, kitchen and bath design, data analytics, management, her comprehensive knowledge of all things ERP, particularly with NetSuite and proficiency in navigating the complexity of multi-channel distribution systems is truly commendable. Sarah's journey from a professional French horn player to a proficient ERP project manager at Paini US is an intriguing story we're going to dive in today. Her diverse career trajectory, along with her continued engagement with music as an adult enthusiast, is a testament to her versatility and determination. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, before we jump in, I'm Louis Bala. Joined with my co-host, Gina, Gina Ostrowski. Gina, could you kick us off and we'll jump into a couple of questions? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, dive in with Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. So as we, we talk about your transition and, and kind of how you um, started from a French horn player uh, <laughs> to all things ERP systems, can you tell us about your journey? I'm sorry, your journey as to where you started, where you've come from uh, and where you are today. Sure, it's um, it's been an accidental journey, totally. I If anyone would have told me, I guess what, you're gonna be an ERP manager and you're gonna be an IT professional, I would have laughed in their face. Um, I started out and, and still am a, a professional musician. Uh, that's what I got a, a degree in and that's what I thought I was gonna do with my life. Um, but. I'm a musician that doesn't really care to teach, and I really was not interested in waiting tables. So like most professional musicians, you have to have some side gigs. And my side gig, strangely enough, was working at a, a little hardware store called Home Depot. I started in one of the original stores here in Atlanta, Georgia, back in, I think they started sometime in the early 80s. I joined in 1987. It's been was really up until recently was my only job, my only employer for, you know, my serious employer other than side gigs playing music. Um, but I started out in one of the stores and um, wound up through working in all the different departments with them. And it was a wild ride. But, you know, some best in class people that I came across and I work with, I wound up being um, a SME, a subject matter expert in a, a software system that they had um, recently put in their stores so they could do computerized kitchen and bath design. So, okay, well, I can learn how to use a computer and I can learn how to do kitchen and bath design. It's, you know, not, not that complicated. So I wound up doing that and teaching people how to teach computer design. Mm -hmm. um, and they had an opening in uh, the home office. Uh, they were doing a massive upgrade they were going from a DOS-based system to a Windows-based system, if that tells you how long ago this was. And uh, their project manager unexpectedly uh, quit on them, so they were desperate to have somebody come out and do it. I could move out within two weeks. So within two weeks of working in stores, I was working in probably one of the larger IT shops on the planet at the time. We had an entire building. There were probably 1,500 people in there, I guess. Wow. And it was a culture shock like it was working in. If you go back to the old Dilbert cartoons, it was like being in a Dilbert comic strip every day because 
it that that really was how things work. But it was um, it was eye opening and it was a huge learning curve for me to go from you know basically a subject matter expert that I knew how the software worked, mm-hmm. how to use the software, and I knew how to teach people how to use the software. Suddenly, I had to know how that software worked, how you tested it, how that software communicated from the mothership out to 800 little ships. Yeah. Um, and I wound up learning a lot of Unix out of the, and I think they were called the O'Reilly books. O'Reilly, they were software, basically books at the time, because we really didn't have Google back then, yeah. that you got these books and it told you how to, how to code. So I learned how to code in Unix, God help me, with these books, because I had to learn. And I was a good copy and paste programmer. And mm-hmm. to this day, that is the only kind of programming I will do, is I'll look at somebody's code, go, mm, I think that's how that, that must be how that works. I'll copy, change what I need to, and make it work. But one of the things that I think was the most valuable in working in a shop like that, that went from a handful of stores to... At the time I joined them with 800 stores and up to like 2,500 stores. Right. The, the guys that wrote the systems and, and did the architecture for that understood scalability and they understood process. And so I learned with no preconceived ideas of how you navigate through an IT shop. By God, I learned process. I learned system requirements definition and I learned how you test because it's, you think you're going to throw something out to a couple dozen users, try throwing it out to 25,000 users. If there's a bug, if there's a flaw, by God, those stores will find it and they'll find it within minutes. So you learn very robust QA principles. Um, yeah, that was, that was an amazing. Depot is a well-oiled machine to say the least. Yeah, to jump in at the deep end. And, you know, when I did that, I realized I had to have some kind of formal background and mm-hmm. formal knowledge of how this is going to work to survive. Um, so I was fortunate enough, one, to be here in Atlanta. I could go to Georgia Tech. And mm-hmm. because I worked in a shop and I had a VP who supported what I was doing, I got the recommendations that got me into Georgia Tech despite my GMAT scores, which as a musician were, were kind of hard to keep up with some engineers. But I wound up going back to tech and I got, a, I got at the time it was a joint master's program. It was basically an MBA with a management of IT. So it was very quant-based MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was great about that, I had the letters and I understood the context of what I'd been doing. So I highly recommend anyone who can get get as much education as you possibly can. You know, it may never help you, but it sure is never going to hurt you. And uh, I I worked there for several years. I retired in 2011, you know, a million years ago in Moore's law terms, but um, just because I went back to being a musician and then COVID hit and my entire music life shut down. And I had the opportunity to go help out a, a small distribution company and they, they sold plumbing products, and I, I had a background in that. And they they uh, bit off a little more than they thought they were biting off when they signed up for NetSuite One World. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that in talking to them that they were in way over their head with what they were going to do with that. I'm like, ah, you know, it's a, it's a system. It's an ERP system. How hard can this be, right? 
So I got involved with them and helped them get um, moved from a platform that was kind of mostly manual, kind of a little bit in QuickBooks and to move them into NetSuite One World and to get them into a big boy system. And that was, um, it was amazing what I learned with that is one, how much in, in over the years of technology that I'd been out of the loop, how much had changed and how much it got so much easier and so mm-hmm. much more approachable for a layperson to work with. But also the fundamentals have not changed. And I'm pretty right. sure those fundamentals haven't changed since, you know, Turing invented the computer back in the forties. I, I really think that the, the fundamentals are just, here's how these things work. So yeah. that was, that was pretty much my, uh, my journey into this. And it was, um, it's been an exciting ride. I've certainly enjoyed working with NetSuite and I've enjoyed working with the, uh, the, uh, the support team that I have, which is world-class. Well, Sarah, it sounds like your background is so interesting and Home Depot is my husband's favorite store, not mine, but <laughs> of course, every husband's favorite store. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. And this kind of dovetails into what you were just saying. You've had a lot of experience with ERP systems, particularly NetSuite One World, um, can you share maybe a lesson learned from your implementation in managing these systems, and then maybe uh, share a challenge that you face and how you overcome it? Yeah, I, I think, and I've I've put a lot of thought into um, how how it worked. What if I had to do it over again? What would I do differently? Mm-hmm. Um, or what? And then what what legacy I would leave for the next people because I. I don't intend to do this. Yeah. And I don't believe in you. You do things going, well, I'm the only one that can do this. Therefore I can always have a job. My job is to do what I have to do to make where my job becomes redundant. So I I really believe in doing that. But um, I think that the key thing is if if anyone is looking at implementing any kind of an ERP system, it's all hinges on executive management support and understanding of what they're doing and you can't be afraid to speak truth to power. You know, no matter who they are, you've got to be able to say, look, here's here's what this is going to do and here's what this isn't going to do. One, you know, if, if your group can't execute a process manually, don't expect a system to fix it because it's not, the best system in the world isn't going to fix it. And they have to understand and be okay with that. And the sixth, the, the other one is, you can't expect if you implement a system that it's going to change one of your processes because it's not. So you know, you've got to, your executive management has to understand what, what they're getting or what their expect, what their expectations are versus what they, they need to be. And sometimes that's hard for them to understand. They just think I'm going to wave money at it. I'm going to put in this brand new system. It's going to fix all the problems we have. And it doesn't work like that. So I mean, that's, to me, that's key. And if you don't have that, walk away, <laughs> just, just walk away from it. Um, the other one is you, you got to map your processes. And, yeah. and I've done this and it's, I mean, I've had to get on planes before to, to go out to see what users were doing because what they were telling me they were doing versus what they were doing were two different things. And sometimes you've got to get face to face with them to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, here's the, you, you want interesting story. I was doing this one world implementation and I set up the training 
I'd been out, I saw what they were doing and I saw what was, what they told me they were doing versus what I saw happening. So I set up the system to where if they didn't have something in the warehouse, if they had a zero on hand quantity, they couldn't sell it. Right. So first time they get to that training scenario, oh my gosh, we can't sell this because, you know, it locked them out of it. I'm like, how do you sell and ship something you don't have? You know, well, it turns out, you know, well, they told me, you know, we sell widget A and we ship widget A. What they were really doing was basically selling a widget A, taking a widget B off the shelf, sticking a label on it that called it widget A, and shipping it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And we can work with that. But you have to understand what you're telling me isn't what you're doing. You know, so you, you really have to look look at what is happening versus what they say is, is going to go on. I mean, those and, are key. I think that brings up a good point of just, um, you know, data integrity and in, in controls. And maybe, you know, with, with what you've learned thus far and, and kind of your, I think, the Home Depot background with very kind of, I will say, tighter structure, you know, because you've got such a larger scale. Um, you know, how do you, how do you enrich the data you have today? Any lessons learned there? Any recommendations for outsiders who are maybe starting to dip their toes into ERP? Because, you know, like you said, you need that executive buy-in. But, you know, what are, what are some critical pieces that you should be considering for data enrichment um, as well as the controls that you recommend? I, I think um, for data enrichment, and well, first of all, you have to scrub your data. And mm-hmm. that really, if you are if you are an implementation team and you're walking into somebody's business, um, that takes a lot of skill as a diplomat because you can't really say your, your data is garbage. <laughs> you, just, you can't say that. Usually it is. It, but, but, uh... it is, but you can't tell them that. So yeah. you have to... Um, you have to work with somebody in in that company that understands that, you know, field by field, you can't just go, is your customer data okay? Is your is your supply da- supplier data okay? You've got to go in there and field, literally field by field, table by table, mm-hmm. and look at what they have, you know, have them send you an example, you know, if that's all, cause if they can't talk about tables and fields and stuff like that, how... You know, and I remember having a class on it where basically you get four or five different layer levels of data, how how well you split your data. Like, you know, you, you know, first name, last name, you get adder one, adder two, adder three, city, state, zip. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times you'll see all of that truncated into one field. And so you've got to get really good with I got really good with Excel and yep. learn how to how to clean and clip and split and concatenate and you got to pull it apart, clean it up, put it back together. And that takes a lot of time. And, um, you know, I think a a company can do that if they've got the people there that understand how to do that. But I don't think that they really understand the need for doing that until you start exporting and importing large sets of data. And some companies are going to have more than others. But I think it's it is absolutely critical that their data is clean. If they've got old customers that they need to get rid of, they need to start getting rid of them before you start pulling data. If they don't have a pristine GL, they've got to have a pristine GL before you start moving that around because it just it's too hard to fix once you get it 
moved over into the new stuff. And you know what? It, <laughs> no matter how great your system is, if the data is garbage, they're going to think your system's garbage because mm -hmm. the user just doesn't make that differentiation. And I, I accept that. You know, that's just how it is. And I'm curious. You know, you, you mentioned kind of um, that your experience with with that organization going from QuickBooks to NetSuite and maybe jumping a little too early. Um, what do you think is the appropriate transition for a company who may be on QuickBooks, you know, and we'll say distribution retail space where it's like, all right, time to grow up to that big boy ERP or, uh, you know, kind of middle layer, we'll call it QuickBooks on steroids. I, I think it is understanding what, where they want to be in three to five years, mm -hmm. um, what marketplaces they want to be in, what kinds of customers they want to have. Uh, those are the questions because you can, it's not necessarily jumping early. Let's see, if you do it right, it's, you're a visionary. If you do it wrong, you wasted money. Um, mm -hmm. I think to get the, the value of going to a system like, like NetSuite and OneWorld is you can, you can deal in multiple currencies easily. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying from multiple places that you've got to work in different currencies, it does that well that you may have just you may have your inventory in dollars, but you're buying stuff in euros or yen or whatever. It it makes that really seamless, and I mm -hmm. that becomes critical, not necessarily from a user point of view, but for your accountant's point of view, when right. you have to go back and revalue things. And I don't even want to get into the accounting part, but I know it's important to them. Um, you have to have flexibility on the kinds of customers that you're selling to. And if you're selling to more, I think it's called multi-channel distribution. If you're selling to different kinds of people, they all react and they act slightly differently. So right. NetSuite gives you the, the ability. I can keep customer part numbers that are very different from my internal numbers. And I can keep, an, I haven't hit a wall with it yet. And I've got a whole bunch of them in there. So it allows me to easily extract data to talk to my customers in their language, not necessarily my language. So it supports where I might have, it's, a, it's my widget A example. I, the only reason that widget A was widget B is in their, system, their old system. It had different unique identifiers, but essentially it was a different brand. Yeah, it was the same thing. So of course the people in the warehouse knew it was the same thing. So let's just stick a different label on it and send it. Okay, that's fine. NetSuite can support that. Um, QuickBooks couldn't support that, um, but NetSuite allows me to keep an inventory accurately and sell it and call it all different flavors that I want to. So I think that's that's a good thing with with NetSuite, and it also allows for easy easy extraction of data because mm -hmm. I have to feed multiple people multiple things on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. And I can set it up and go, just send this per, send this entity, this set of data, you know, four times a day, send this person, this data on a monthly basis. Once you right. set it up, it goes and you really don't have to worry about it again. And uh, I think it's going to, if you did ever want to go in and, and put your own, um, e-commerce site in, I believe it would integrate fairly easily with that, given some of the things I've seen that they've they've set up with Shopify now. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've seen a lot of success there. And, you know, outside of NetSuite, 
Um, and I think Gina has a couple questions too, but outside of NetSuite, you know, you, you, you noted just how you took some time off and then the digital transformation kind of exploded, but it's, you know, it's all kind of the same to a certain extent. Um, you know, what are you most excited for in the next couple of years with, you know, not just NetSuite, but just, you know, whether it's AI, whether it's different process automation, um, that, that you're, you know, kind of hobbying or, or tinkering with in the background. I've, I've always been, it's kind of old school, but I've always been fascinated by price sensitivity. Okay. Um, just cause that's the retailer in me that I want to make as much money as I possibly can. And, you know, when you go back to the days and I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm working on that with the, the group I'm with now to say, cause they're old school, Hey, it's a list price. And then we apply a factor to it. And, you know, so our customer gets, Depending on who our customer is, they get a different factor, but it applies to the standard list across the board. And I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. No one's done that. The people who get this haven't done that for 20 years. They're going in and tinkering, depending on the item. If it's an item you have to have and you either need it or you don't, you can jack that price to the roof and they don't care because they need it. And so if you know your inventory and your all the components that you sell well enough to understand that, you can, there. how do I put, there's some margin opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, I'm, I'm fascinated with being able to extract. Um, and I, I mean, I did this 20 years ago at Home Depot because I was able to dive into their data and start looking at it. NetSuite makes it so much easier to do now, but. I can look at what is getting bought with different things. So I can see when you buy this item, what, what is typically bought with it and why, and Mm -hmm. if, and maybe there's items that everyone is going to want to shop, you know, and, and that's kind of the benchmark. You have to keep that low, but then I can, I can grab different things. People, uh, appliance dealers have done that for years with, Oh, if you want it in this fashionable color, we're going to jack the price. You can drive down, you know, much deeper than just color. So I think to me, I'm enjoying working on that and seeing how much margin I can grab out of it. Um, But what I really think is going to drive this, uh, drive us to the next level is going to be the AI. And I am not at all afraid of that. I don't think that's for one second going to um, outsource anyone in in the technical field that is mm-hmm. that is adding value ai is not going to replace you mm-hmm. if you're sitting at your desk doing something that a you know a robot could do shame on you you got to figure out what to do that you add value as a human being yeah um, which is finding out ways to do it smarter quicker less you know less labor intensive and i think that that's going to free up so many people to do so many other things. I mean, I'm looking at um, IBM, for example. I mean, that's that's pretty old school technology. They've mm-hmm. been around since the, I don't know, the 60s, probably. I mean, that's the first yeah. I remember them. Yeah. Um, or remember hearing about them. But, you know, their, their biggest growth vehicle right now is in AI. And that's where they have put a lot of, of resources in. Okay, so that that's a uh, a company that I tend to value what they're doing. Right. I just think that, and, and I hear, you know, it professionals out there and they grouse about it like, Oh, this is, you know, going to outsource this. Well, 
No, not any more than having coders that live all over the world. Yep. You know, we've got that today. And that was, you know, 30 years ago, that was, oh, there were all, you know, it's all going to go to China or India or South America or wherever. There's still a lot of people making a lot of money in IT in this country today. You are absolutely correct. There's always that little fear factor with change and we're trying to embrace it here at Nuage. (laughs) Help us write some things. (laughs) You guys are, I can't, yeah, off topic. I can't tell you how awesome I have found working with Nuage is. It is just because I've worked with other implementation groups for NetSuite. And they were at NetSuite's um, on their list of here's people we recommend. Um, No, you guys get processed. You get cut. It it comes down to I don't care what company, what what you're selling or what you're providing. You take care of your customers. You do what you, you take care of your customers and you've got a process and you follow it. And you execute and you do what you say you're going to do. Take care of the customer. I mean, that's the fundamental that is going to make any company successful. And I just can't say how much I've enjoyed working with your guys. Well, thank you, thank Sarah. You, Sarah. We, yeah. we enjoy working with you as well. And we, we appreciate it. We'll our- take that sound bite. Uh, yeah, unsolicited Amplify it a million times out there. Great sound bite. Yeah. Last question. Um, could you share a book or a resource or an individual, maybe you had a mentor over the years that significantly influenced your approach on business and strategy and your technology? Um, I will give you, yeah. I mean, there's, there's one on, on technology and, and that is um, if, if you haven't read the book by Lou Gershner, who was the one time um CEO of IBM, he wrote a book called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? It's an old book. It goes back into the 90s. And it's about when he took over IBM, when they had gone from being a, we sell stuff, basically platforms, they sold 46s and Pentium. I don't know what those things are called, but they sold computers. And Mm -hmm. the software had to be what was on that computer. And they went from that to becoming basically an IT consulting firm. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about what he had to do. And, it, you know, the bottom line is you got to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's hard to do as a CEO. That's a lot of sleepless nights because you realize you're about to eliminate a division or, mm-hmm. you know, people like it. It's just not an easy thing to do. And he's brutally honest about it. So I think that's a great book as far as a mentor. And as far as having someone who, who, probably influenced me more how to how to approach daily business is um, another author. His name is Jim Inglis. Uh, he was a Jim. Oh, gosh. He was the brainchild behind the expo stores at Home Depot. But I knew him through the kitchen and bath business um, because I was on the board of a, of a trade organization called the National Kitchen and Bath Association. And he also was on it. Of course, he was like a VP at Home Depot. So he was at a very different level than I was. But I will never forget what he did. One, I did, oh, I got elected to be a chapter president or something out in Arizona. And now I'm just one of thousands of people. No one would know who I was or whatever. Jim saw my name come up on something that obviously came across his desk at the NKBA. He wrote me a letter on Home Depot letterhead. And he said, 
this is wonderful. You know, congratulations on your achievement. This this is great for the industry. This is great for Home Depot. But being on Home Depot letterhead, coming from the home office, from a VP, executive VP office, he copied everyone in the chain of command for, for my store manager, district manager, up the chain. So they got this letter going, we have no idea who this person is. But obviously, whatever it was she did was important. So we should recognize that. And I never forgot that. that he. In fact, I still have that letter to this day. So Jim, so then I... When I got on the board, I was able to, as different kitchen designers at Home Depot would take these tests and become certified designers, I would get that list through NKBA. So I did the same thing to them because I'm nobody, of course. I'm like this IT person sitting in a cube, but I had access to Home Depot letterhead. And I did the same thing to all these people. And I copied everyone up their chain of command saying, hey, congratulations. This is a good thing you did. And for years and years afterwards, I got uh, letters from those people. I'd run into them at different functions. They're like, you know what? You wrote me this letter. And it you know, it got me a raise. It got me, I, I decided to stay with the company, you know, instead of quitting. It just, it, it did so much. And, and I realized that it takes so little effort sometimes to make such a big difference in somebody's career or their just how they feel about what they're doing makes them feel good about getting up and coming to work and how little it takes to do that. And I've always, I've always credited, I would never have thought to do that other than Jim did that for me. And I'm like, yeah, that is, that is character. That's a great story. It really is. Yeah. He's, yeah. He, and I, I still, I run into him at different functions from time to time now. And I'm like, Jim, you're just, you know, just an amazing person. And, obviously became a success and will be a success at whatever he did. But um, I've always thought character is the stuff that people do when no one else is looking. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, if you get lucky enough to run into people like that, it does, it does make your career and your life a lot more enriching. Yeah, that's, that's pretty powerful. And yeah, you know, I, I want to thank our listeners today. You know, that does conclude our episode of Sweet Stories and what an insightful conversation it was. Um, I want to thank you, Sarah, uh, you know, really kind of sharing your input, the value perspectives, everything with the rapidly evolving landscape of cloud technology today. Uh, for our listeners out there, if you're looking to navigate your own digital transformation journey, journey sorry, remember you don't have to do it alone. Uh, at Nuage, we specialize in helping you get to your destination you know, leveraging the power of NetSuite to streamline operations, make data-driven decisions, and drive go I'm sorry, drive growth. I'm trying to get it all in as quickly as possible. But want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Sarah, wanted to give you the floor for the the last uh, soundbite. Anything you'd like to tell the listeners out there? It's it's an exciting time to be in IT. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought I'd go back and and do it, but there's so much so much change, so much positive stuff that's happening. I I'd say. It, it's a great, um, great place to start your career. It's a great place to stay in. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you to our listeners. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.